Hi everyone, I'm your host Ng, and welcome to the 64th episode of the podcast, Sounds About Right? Audiobooks help us understand the world. And on this episode, I was joined by Patrick Fagan, co-author of the book, Free Your Mind, The New World of Manipulation and How to Resist It. There is a war in your mind. You may not notice, but you're surrounded by manipulators, advertisers, politicians, big tech, and even humble waiters asking, still or sparkling. Free Your Mind is your field manual to survive in the information battlefield. In this book, Laura Dodsworth and Patrick Fagan draw on interviews with mind-bending experts ranging from monks to magicians, infiltrate cults and forums to uncover the most deceptive techniques and expose the hidden tactics used to influence you, from social media to subliminal messages. In the book, you will learn how to recognise the nudges, dispel efforts to brainwash you and always question those who say, the choice is yours. If you don't control your mind, someone else will. It was great to discuss the book with Patrick, and I hope you enjoy the episode. How and why did you come up with the idea of putting this book together, teaching us to dissect manipulation attempts so that they lose their power? Well, I've worked in the industry of behavioral science for about 15 years, basically manipulating people, you could say, uh, to advertising and websites and, and targeted ads and all of that. So I've known the tricks and the techniques and how they've been used. And it all kind of seems to be a bit much lately in the last few years from social media, fake news, actual news, propaganda, pickup artists, you name it, everyone's using these techniques and not always with your best interests in mind, particularly in the last, I don't know, five or six years, something seems to have happened. I don't know if it's social media or something, but trust in institutions has, has fallen a lot in the media in government in businesses and universities and so on. And people, I think, sense more and more of this kind of dishonesty and manipulation and influence. So I don't have a problem per se with nudging and techniques. It's what I do for a job still. Uh, but in writing this book, we did want to give people the tools to protect themselves if they want to. So why, when it comes to freeing our mind, must we prepare ourselves as being soldiers on a battlefield? Uh, well, we are inundated with attempts to influence us constantly. There was one study and I don't know how they got to the figure, I don't know how accurate it is, but they estimated that we are bombarded with the equivalent of, I think, 174 newspapers worth of information every day. Uh, some studies have done things like eye tracking and found that we see hundreds or even thousands of advertising and branded messages every day. And our minds are kind of a valuable real estate that brands and governments and so on want to own. They want to control what we think, how we think, how we behave. So there really is a war on for our attention and for our behaviors. And if you want to be sovereign and free and make your own decisions, you have to realize that you are kind of under attack constantly and you need to build your defenses against it. And when it comes to moral discretions, we're more likely to accept them when they're small, aren't they? Patrick, is that right? Yeah, so we have a, a chapter on this. It's called the foot in the door technique, or it's called, also called the slippery slope. Um, but there was one study that, for example, asked some people to do a task, and for every question they got right in the task, they would win, I think, $2. 
and other people for every question they they got right they would win 20 cents or something and people were more likely to cheat in the task to win 20 cents than to win two dollars because you think oh it's just 20 cents it's fine but interestingly they found that if you start with 20 cents and then you gradually increase the amount by the time you get to two dollars people are equally as likely to cheat because there's this incremental effect and so that's what manipulators often do. They try and get a foot in the door. They try and ask you to do something small and seemingly reasonable to begin with. So you're more likely to follow through on the main request later. Like, for example, car dealerships. They want you to do a test drive because buying the car is a big, scary thing to do. Very few people are just going to go, yep, I'll buy the car. And so if they get you to do a test drive, that's a very easy, approachable thing. No obligation, etc., etc. But once you've done that, that's the first step on the journey to eventually buying the car. Do you know one thing I noticed whilst listening to the audiobook that Aldous Huxley's a Brave New World was referenced quite a bit throughout the book. So I wanted to know how much did or does that book resonate with you to a certain extent, Patrick? Yeah, enormously. It was actually uh, also we referenced Aldous Huxley's Brave New World Revisited as well, where he kind of, I don't know, a couple of decades later went back to the book and said, here's what's come true, basically, and is coming true. I resonated a lot. Yeah, Brave New World, very much around the use of distraction and entertainment as a form of controlling people, really. If you're distracted, then you're not going to be focused on uh, how you're being controlled. And you're also going to release any kind of energy or stress that you might have. And energy is good because it directs behavior. But if you don't have any of it, then you're not going to go into, for example, political activism or anything like that. If you're just eating cheeseburgers and, and watching cat videos all day. So yeah, it resonates very much. 1984 as well, I think, is obviously a very good book and that resonates too. But I think Brave New World, in my opinion, had it closer to what we're going through today because we have this infinite appetite for distraction and for emotion and entertainment. And I think that's causing a lot of the problems we're seeing. Absolutely. Um, so why does political resistance mean not fighting it, but leaving it all together and finding something new? There was a Czech dissident called Havel who talked about this. He talked about the parallel polis or parallel system about leaving the system um, and letting it kind of fall under its own weight and going away and building something new. So it's about having a, a hill to build on rather than a hill to die on, that kind of thing. And this is important for a couple of reasons, but not least because uh, we interviewed a magician for the book and I asked him, if you don't want to get tricked by a magician, what can you do? And his answer was very simple. He said, don't go to the show. And if you don't want to be manipulated, influenced, you just have to kind of disengage to a certain extent. I mean, that's not entirely possible and it's also not entirely advisable, but really you do have to step away and there's so much power in that. And how effective have governmental nudge units been up until this point then, would you say? They've been extremely effective. They have an enormous return on investment. I can't remember the exact figure, but I think something like 
22 times the expenditure was made back uh, in the first year of the nudge unit, something like that. I probably got that wrong, but a, a big return on investment. There was one study that found that, again, for every pound they spent handwriting names and addresses on the envelopes of tax return forms, they got several pounds back return on investment in income tax. Um, so it is very, very effective and it's been used in all sorts of things for exercise and yeah, paying taxes on time and being environmentally friendly and healthy. It's been phenomenally successful and it's been exported to governments around the world because it's been so successful. When it comes to freeing our mind or just being susceptible to being manipulated, uh, being smart or having a high level of intellectualism, it doesn't mean you to brainwashing, does it, Patrick? No. So talking of George Orwell, he once said there are some things so absurd only an intellectual could believe them. And being smart is great and intellectual thought is great. People have made smartphones and designed skyscrapers and things uh, using rational, careful thoughts. So I don't want to say it's bad to be smart or rational. However, it doesn't protect you from being manipulated and it might actually make you more vulnerable to being manipulated for a few reasons. Number one, because smart people are better at rationalizing and explaining their beliefs. It's called motivated reasoning. So a lot of what we do, a lot of our behavior is driven by emotion, or by environments and pressures, things around us. But our brains are very good at coming up with reasons to explain why we're doing it, which might not actually be accurate. Uh, but smarter people are better at doing that. And secondly, they also have more confidence in their beliefs. They think I'm smart, so I must be right. Uh, and that can make them a bit vulnerable. And thirdly, smart people, particularly in certain areas like academia or healthcare, they tend to have a certain personality type on average of course not everyone's like this but they have a certain personality that can make them more likely to follow authority and follow the crowd so these two traits are called agreeableness and conscientiousness so they tend to be quite trusting and cooperative and they also tend to be quite organized now generally speaking those are good traits to have but if you're being potentially manipulated they're bad traits because you're more likely to do what you're told essentially I thought the book would focus on mainstream media and uh, social media, those forms of manipulation, but it also touches on how brands and marketers work on our senses. Do you mind touching on that, Patrick, on how they do that? Yeah, so our senses are how we perceive the world. So all kind of manipulation of how people see reality, of course, comes through the senses, but there's loads of examples in marketing, advertising, branding, of how this is done quite smartly and sometimes sneakily. So if we take sight, for example, red light makes people spend more money in casinos because it's an exciting color and, it, and therefore it's kind of physiologically engaging. And that's often, I think, why red is used in brands where they want you to consume, like Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Pizza Hut, KFC, uh, places like that. 
because red is like exciting and makes you like ah, it kind of stimulates your appetites. Then scent obviously is used in, in marketing a lot. For example, if you put the the smell of pine trees in a shop, people will buy more Christmas products. Or one study found if you put the smell of chocolate in a bookshop, people will buy more romance books. Because smell, again, it engages you and gets you excited about what's around you, but it also uh, uses what's called priming. So if you smell chocolate, you'll think of kind of comfort and indulgence and therefore romance. Similar with music, there was one study that found that if you play French music in a wine shop, people buy more French wine. Uh, Or if you play classical music, they buy more expensive wine. So very, very clever techniques used, yeah. And how does social media platforms keep us from being politically informed? Oh, that's an interesting question. I I don't know if I would say they do it deliberately. I mean, they might do, uh, but I don't have any evidence to say that. But the way that they work certainly does contribute to people being less politically informed. And actually... People tend to think that using social media is important because you need to stay up to date on current events and so on. And it is important to stay up to date on current events. But there was a study where people abstained from social media for a period and their political knowledge did not change. So uh, using social media, actually, it didn't help them stay up to date and be more politically informed. And there's a few things. I mean, two spring to mind. One is that social media is very, very fleeting and fast. It's a superficial thinking style. This is not like getting the Guardian or the Daily Telegraph on a Sunday and sitting down and reading it with your your breakfast. This is really fast, emotional, rapid-fire stuff that doesn't really have time to settle in your brain. You don't have time to think about it, digest it, work it into your understanding of the world. It's just very superficial and emotional. And that probably stops you really from forming a proper opinion on a topic. I think what most people consider opinions about the news is probably more an emotion. People have a feeling less than like a really well thought out deep opinion. Also, social media keeps us in echo chambers. So we tend only to engage with people who we agree with already. And I know I'm guilty of this. You see someone tweet something you disagree with, you think it's a bit silly and you unfollow them and you don't hear from them anymore. Um, So we like to really only be confronted with stuff we already agree with and that makes us feel good. And so people silo into these echo chambers, which you can literally see if you visualize the data of people who are connected to each other and talk to each other, you can literally see these two bubbles that exist. And people aren't talking as much there's not dialogue between the two they seem to be drifting further and further apart Um, and I think Socrates or Aristotle I get confused but one of them was talking about wisdom and one of the techniques uh, he said was to take other people's perspectives and bring them all together into a perspective that encompasses everything and combines everything and I don't think people are doing that as much anymore They're, they're not talking to one another really if they have other opinions so why must we practice social media distancing then for this reason really that it bombards us with information very emotional often heated information you go on twitter deliberately to be made angry or i know i do and it's not really good for you to be kept in this constant state of alertness and stress and and negative emotion 
we have a negativity bias. We're naturally hardwired to pay attention to negative information because it's important to our survival. But the news has kind of hijacked that and social media as well has hijacked that in the same way that McDonald's or Cadbury hijacks our need for salt or sugar. We're not designed to deal with all of this negative information. And so it's really important to kind of step away, become more mindful, give your brain some breathing room, because that's how you can build your defenses against manipulation. Do you mind touching on the importance of reading? Because following that, I found that very interesting as well, hearing that, especially in contrary to being on social media as much. Yeah, so there's something in psychology called the picture superiority effect, where images are more attention grabbing, emotional and persuasive than words. So if you think about our evolution, we've had eyes for much, much longer than we've had language. So visual things just really engage us more. They have what's called pre-attentive effects, meaning an image has an impact on the brain before you're even consciously aware that you're looking at an image. So images are are emotional. We tend to believe them. You can show someone an image and then tell them it's fake and they'll rationally say, okay, it's fake, but they'll still be emotionally impacted by it. And that image will still stick in their head and be a, a piece of the puzzle that constructs reality for them. So we believe images, they have sticking power. And then a video is, you know, an image times a thousand. Videos are even more attention-grabbing, emotional and persuasive because they just bombard your brain and don't give your brain room to kind of pause and breathe and think about what it's seeing. Reading, on the other hand, is a slow, deep, reflective way of consuming information. And so it just uh, allows you to integrate it with your past experience and to think critically about what you're consuming. When I was listening to that part of the book, I I really wanted to know what does Patrick think about audiobooks then? You know, because uh, <laughs> uh, it's being consumed in a different way as opposed to reading. So uh, I'm intrigued to know what you think. Yeah, audiobooks and, and podcasts especially are great. Um, so keep listening. <laughs> um, I, I think they probably, I, I don't want to say good or bad, but they're probably slightly more potential for manipulation and persuasion with audiobooks and podcasts than there are with actual books. Um, just purely because with a book, it's still, you're still kind of in control of how your pace of reading and you can stop. Whereas a podcast or an audiobook, your engagement's a bit more passive, but still it is words. Um, so it's, it's better than, than image and video for sure. Mm. Okay. I'm very happy with that. Answer. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so, so moving on in, in contrary, once again, there was an interesting part where I believe that it was mentioned that TV is almost likened to daydreaming. If one consumes the news in this way, how, once again, are they being fed this information as opposed to information that they believe that they're consuming then, Patrick? There's an interesting quote in the book where a media theorist says that all television news is disinformation by definition because it's it's not that it's wrong or false information, but it's just that it's information that's taken out of context and framed in a certain way to tell a story. And so really any information that you consume is not the whole picture. 
and therefore it will manipulate you in some way and sometimes people have an agenda behind that as to your as to your question maybe these are designed deliberately as well as propaganda fake imagery or crafted and curated imagery in a way to present a certain facet of reality i do think that's true for example i don't know in the news uh, it's a bit of a contentious topic but in the early days of covid when there was footage of people in china falling dead on the street that footage i think has since been debunked but it was very powerful imagery that really strikes you and stays with you and that was persuasive but not true i mean as for whether that was some kind of deliberate campaign who knows but surely this happens constantly and then tv is a kind of daydreaming as you say in that it presents these images that even though you know they're fake they still make up your view of the universe and reality for example there are probably many people who if i asked them to they could give me very detailed descriptions of new york but they've never been so where's that come from probably come from watching friends and seinfeld and sex in the city so their construction of the universe has been made by these screens and of course there's huge potential there for for brainwashing and programming hmm. Is it fair to say that to a certain extent as well that when it comes to films and documentaries that the agenda of a said government could be infiltrated within that as well to influence how the wider population feel or believe certain things to be Yeah absolutely that's fair I mean there's no question that that does happen some of it is admitted and acknowledged for example the US Department of Defense gave uh, a lot of equipment to Top Gun both films the original and the remake so the movie makers had access to these aircraft carriers and these planes and advice on what it's like to be in the the army and so on because they wanted to use the film to portray the armed forces in America in a positive light particularly in the 80s after Vietnam they want to kind of rebrand the the military so it does definitely happen i guess the question is you know how deep does it go and you can definitely kind of watch these movies and be like are they brainwashing me am i seeing an agenda here or am i just crazy it's hard to tell but it it does definitely happen to some degree I wanted to touch on the chapter titled Choose Your Illusion. How does changing our own information space mean we change our environment? Well, one of the things that we realized researching the book is that you can't not be nudged or influenced at the end of the day because we're all cognitive misers meaning we have very tiny brains and limited attention spans and the universe is infinitely big. So we can't we don't have an all-seeing eye that can see everything in the world we can only see a tiny slice and it's very biased and imperfect but what you can do is choose what that slice is that you're looking at you can choose what your universe is like really so if you want the world to be a more poetic place you just need to read more poetry and so on twitter for example you can follow these angry news commentators or you can follow people who help you with health and wealth and happiness and um, so you can kind of construct your own reality to an extent 
lastly, Patrick, I wanted to ask, has your life changed in any capacity after co-authoring this book? Because like I said to you before we started recording, I don't think for many other people, they could ever view things the same way after listening or reading to the, the book. Yeah, definitely. I mean, some of it I was already aware of and, and practicing, like using my phone less and using it mindfully. That was something I was doing for a long time before the book. But it changed me in lots of ways, for sure. I think the main one out of many was the importance of humility and realizing that everyone believes their beliefs. So somebody who has a complete opposite opinion to me, they believe that just as strongly and with as much conviction as I believe my belief, and I believe that they're wrong. And also, whatever belief they have, they must have a reason for believing it, so there must be some kind of nugget inch of truth in there. And so now I try and, like I said earlier, bring all of these different opinions together to try and work out what the truth is, and... I realized that the world is very messy and people make mistakes. I know I have and I still do and will continue to always. So I just it just made me a lot more open and you know willing to hear other people's ideas, I think. That was Patrick Fagan, co-author of the book Free Your Mind. The New World of Manipulation and How to Resist It. The book and audiobook is available now, which I do recommend you to pick up and read or to give a listen to. A big thank you to Patrick for coming on the podcast and thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate the podcast and check out some of the previous ones if you haven't done already. And until then, I'll catch you on the next.